Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. The digital revolution has been going through some hitches lately, or as Don Meredith said on a Monday night football game long ago, so-and-so has a hitch in his get-along. So we got a revolution. It's had some missteps, stumbling, bumbling, rumbling a little bit here, but still some extraordinary things going on. And one of the great minds in the world at looking at new things, different things, and how the world might play out is our dear friend, Christopher Lockhead, who is with us today. Christopher, good morning. Welcome. It's always a pleasure to see you. Good morning, Bob. Good afternoon. Good evening. Namaste. Nama didn't stay in bed this morning. Nama got up to uh, to have this conversation with you. <laughs> oh, Nama is good. We love Have you ever Nama. seen that t-shirt? Nama gonna stay in bed? I don't know. Just, just yoga What's, humor, I don't know. No, no, no. This is probably working its way from the West Coast to the East, Chris. It's, it's good. <laughs> but uh, folks, you know, uh, Chris is a uh, multi-best-selling author, podcaster, innovator, inventor was a CMO, and just, I think, in these challenging times, brings together a very, very interesting perspective on things. And I think particularly what, Chris, you've been doing so much now with your your pirate gang and so forth is trying to get the world to think differently. And I bet in the category of different, there are very few podcast episodes starting off with an anecdote about a certain type of bird. I'm going to roll it over to you to lay that out. <laughs> yeah, so this is just a fun story. It has really nothing to do with what we want to talk about today, but it's just a really fun story. So as I was telling you before we we hit record, we have some high ceilings in our home, and we live in California. And uh, as you all know, I grew up on the East Coast in Montreal, Canada. And so when I first got to California and I saw everybody's homes, uh, and they opened the door, the window, and we have these sliding glass doors and all these wonderful shit. There's no, you, you look at him as a guy that grew up in the East Coast, and you go, um, how come there's no screens? You know, my friend, my friend, Mike Damphouse, he's got a wonderful home in Florida and he has, and I have a, I have a, uh, an aunt in Florida and friends in Florida and they have these things called lanai's, right? Uh -huh. And lanai is a very nice way of saying giant cage so the bugs don't fucking eat you. Right. Best I can tell. So I just grew up in a world of bugs. And in Canada, of course, we have black flies that'll take off your kneecap. And so anyway, no fucking screens here. Because there's no bugs in California. Forget the weather. The The reason the real estate costs what it costs in California is there are no bugs. <laughs> but anyways, I digress. So we don't have any screens and we got hummingbirds. And as you know, they're absolutely beautiful and there's one hummingbird that we have right now and um, she comes and she sits and she talks to me. And so I've, I've grown to have a tremendous affinity for hummingbirds because we got all lots of them. Anyway, long story way longer. They get in the house. Oh, geez. And then you can't get them out because they fly to the highest part of the house and you're trying opening all the doors and the windows and you're doing the dance and you're, you're supposed to wave red things at them i don't know what you're of supposed course, to do of course of course whatever you're, what you know you when you and the thing is apparently they have the highest metabolism of any creature on mm. earth so they have to eat pretty regularly or they burn through that shit so anyway the point is if you can't get the hummingbird out of the house in a relatively short period of time the hummingbird dies and uh and this happened to us once and it was really a giant bummer um and so that's the story with the hummingbirds so now I'm a big fight fan, as you know, and I've trained fighting for years and uh, like to have all the boys over to watch the big UFC fights and the big boxing matches and so forth on Saturday night. So my master sensei, who's a magical, mystical creature from another time, shows up early th this one Saturday evening before the boys get there. It's a beautiful day. The windows and doors and shit are open. And uh, as he arrives... A hummingbird has just come in the house mm -hmm. and we're trying to get her out and she won't. And she's, she's on our main level and she's flying back and forth. There's a, um, like, we you know, one of those sensors on the side of the house for, for gas and, and, and fog and smog or, or fire and all that. It's one of those fire smog going to kill you sensor things. And it, it flashes a little red light. So that's on one side. 
And then on the other side is the kitchen. And it's this sort of open thing. And Carrie's got this, you know, decorative plate. You know, we as men, we collect decorative plates and put them in the kitchen. So but this was her decorative plate. And it had some red on it. And it was at the top of shelving. So we've got exposed shelving in the kitchen. All right. So you got the scene and there's this hummingbird. And it's flying back and forth between the red BB safety thing and the red flowery thing in the decorative whatever. And it's going back and forth and back and forth. And we can't seem to get it out. And we're afraid it's going to die because it'll run out of energy and die. So uh, Sensei Shitan shows up. I'm a little disheveled. I'm trying to figure it out. And he says, relax. Just give her a minute. And she goes back and forth a bunch of times. Says, Stay calm. Back and forth a couple more times. Not really saying anything, not moving. And you can feel her energy depleting. And she keeps going back and forth and he's letting her and we're not talking. And then when she goes to the red security fire thing, he slowly, gently gets up on our counter and is right underneath the shelving where the red plate thing is. And she comes flying over and she lands where she's been landing. And he, bomb, like Bruce fucking Lee, goes, whoosh, and now the hummingbird's in his hand. And he holds her like this, both hands together, gives her a little kiss on the head, walks out the back sliding door, opens his hand, and she flies away. And you think about what it takes to be able to catch a hummingbird, first of all. And second of all, he's got to do it, uh, Sensei Sitan has got to do it with legendary precision. Because if he squeezes too tight, He's going to kill her. If he doesn't squeeze tight enough, he won't catch her. And he probably won't be able to catch her, right? Because she'll go away. So just whoosh, catch the hummingbird. Give it a little kiss on the head. And out the window it goes. And that's the story of the hummingbird and the sensei. And the interesting thing about that little story is uh, Sensei Sitan, without getting into all of the details, had an um, incredibly challenging upbringing. He was ultimately rescued by a Doctors Without Borders and saved from a war-torn situation, and it's a long, long story. Anyway, um, a soldier, an enemy soldier, saved his life. Mm -hmm. And so the moral of the story is in life, sometimes you're the hummingbird, and sometimes you're the sensei, but sooner or later, we all need somebody to catch us tightly enough, not to hurt us, but strongly enough to save us. <laughs> ah, Chris, beautiful story. I have never heard a hummingbird story. And that is a, that's a doozy. Um, yeah, that's a good one, right? It was amazing. It's also maybe, uh, you know, a sub moral of the story might be, those beacons we feel we are guided by and limited by and, you know, have to run our world by, they're, they're not always going to help us have yes. to see the world differently. Yes. And uh, in, in martial arts and the military and in law enforcement, uh, they have a term called being a sheepdog. Mm -hmm. And a sheepdog is somebody who makes a difference in a time of crisis. Often, often, where there's physical harm, you know, potentiality, it's the, it's the person who stops the uh, attempted rape or attempted robbery or other horrible things, right? It's that person, or it's the person who shows, it's the good Samaritan yeah. is a sheepdog really. Um, and so the thing I love about that story, particularly knowing Sensei Sitan as I do, uh, and knowing how vulnerable he's been in his life as a younger man and then growing up and serving in the military and becoming a black belt and becoming a, a fighting champion and all the things that he did. He was an army ranger, um, did multiple tours in Afghanistan and all these things. So big, tough guy, but grew up, you know, in a war-torn situation where he was captured and most of his family, including his twin brother, died. And it was because a soldier took a liking to him and essentially smuggled them out. Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting. We, in life, we will absolutely be in situations where we are the hummingbird. Mm -hmm. 
And the real question is, when we have an opportunity to be the sensei, will we uh, will we meet the call? Yes, yes. And have that, you know, even before he made the snatch, when he said, give her a moment. It's okay. Stay. Yeah, recognize the time. Good, yes. Tremendous story. Tremendous story. Now, but I've got something else for you before we get going. I, I like to play this trick called name me something that's not going to get connected. So here's one that I heard a lot. Coffee cup. There's no reason you'd have a smart coffee cup. Well, Bob, this right here is my Ember smart coffee cup. And if I, no, I'm not going to be looking It tells you, uh, it, it's supposed to light up here. Sure. It tells you how hot your coffee or tea is. And I've got an app on my phone because, of course, it's Bluetooth connected, which is then connected to the cloud. So I can manage the temperature of my coffee. And in this case, it's actually um, it's actually um, uh, tea. Yes. Um, but so listen, you and I have been doing this for a while, right? Somebody had come to you in uh, 1962 and said, hey, there's going to be <laughs> there's going to be a, a a smart coffee cup connected to your Star Trek communicator that will allow you to control the temperature of it over time. <laughs> um, probably not so much. You would believe that that's some serious Dick Tracy shit. And it's funny, you know, when this stuff happens, it's easy to take it for granted, especially for those of us who've been in the tech world for so long. And it may seem like a very trivial application and it's a $200 fucking coffee mug that's connected by a Bluetooth. It, the whole thing seems stupid <laughs> at the same time. You have to sit here and, and just want in wonder and go, yes, come on, like, just stop, just stop. And then the other day, I had this experience where, so we have a long driveway and we have a gate. And sometimes it's open, sometimes it's closed, whatever. But the, we got irritated with having to open the gate all the time. And so we gave in. I like sort of having it be real and manual, but it's a smart gate now with, and it opens and it, and, and it has a thing and all that stuff. So, so a few days ago, Bob, I'm in my car and I'm drinking from my amber smart cup here making yes. sure that it's exactly the right temperature and yes. by the yes. way it knows if it goes below the temperature it just starts to heat it back up again so i got that in the car and my phone rings and it's a friend of mine who's dropping something off at the front gate and the gate's closed so i say hey jimmy nice to see you oh yeah, yeah thanks for coming over blah blah and you press a button on your phone in your car and your gate opens while your phone is managing the exact right temperature in your smart cup. And of course your your car is a data center on wheels. Yes. Anyway, yes. my point in all that is it's very, for those of us in the tech industry, it's very easy to sort of be nonchalant about all this stuff in our day to day life. And most of the time we are, but every once in a while you got to sit there and go, Holy fuck i just opened the gate on my star trek communicator while having it manage the perfect temperature of my tea yes sir that's yes, where sir. we're at um but that's not what we wanted to talk about at all <laughs> no no but i think you're you're you know you're you're poking up to it right uh I, yeah i i i try never to lose that sense of wonder about what can be done and uh how people are able to do this. And I was just, uh, you know, before we came on here, I was working on a piece that will come out tomorrow, but it's about, you know, one of the big tech companies. And the guy just said, you know, if you keep telling people, no, 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 you can't do that. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to get left behind. He said, actually, it's a pretty good idea to listen to customers. And when they say, Hey, I'd like to be able to think about this. So between the input from the outside and this release, uh, uh, from the inside, right? Of, you know, I believe all limitations are self-imposed. So whether that's a person or a company or what can be done. And Chris, your pioneering work and brilliant and it's disturbing in some ways at first and very enlightening and illuminating and optimistic when you get into it about this whole new world of native digitals and how they just think in very different ways. I suspect you talk to them and 
just might say, well, yeah, of course you open the gate remotely while your phone is also keeping your. Um, so it, it just, I think, shows us in this constantly changing, evolving, shifting world, right? Nobody knows everything. And uh, it, it's fun to keep that sense of wonder about us. Uh, and I, I hope that never goes away. One of the things that I think is, you know, I wrote some reason I said I Chat GPT seems to have knocked the world off its axis, right? I don't know if we'll get it back on its axis, but uh, so far, at least, it seems to be rocking the world pretty good. Yeah, I I love it. So a ton to talk about here. Um, the interesting thing to me is so here's the big aha. Um, knowledge workers are dead. And all of us knowledge workers, myself included, uh, as technology and automation was happening, think about when we grew up, right? Think about yeah. beginning to automate factories and then, you know, ERP and all these sorts of things, right? And and even the beginnings of robotics and all these sorts of things. Those of us smug assholes who had, quote unquote, knowledge worker jobs were like, oh, isn't it terrible? All those factory workers are getting side, side blown out the side by technology. Tough for them. Uh, Betsy, you got to go figure it out. Well, guess what? It just happened. I mean, it literally, one of the greatest things about being alive, this is the greatest time of innovation in history. And that will be true for a very long time. <clears throat> um, but the at rate of acceleration, of course, every year is exponential. Yes. Right. If you think about the acceleration in technology <clears throat> from uh, 1492 to 1792. Yes, there were major breakthroughs. We could go through them. They were important, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they weren't at the speed that they're at now and they weren't exponential like they're at now. Um, and our assumption, of course, is that'll continue. But we're to sit here and watch a new mega category, AI that we've all been talking about. It, truly, it's ML. It's not really AI, yeah. but, you know, tomato tomato ai is scarier to most people anyway whatever it's it's ml but whatever it is to be sitting here at the dawn of the mega category that we've all been waiting for is truly exciting and what i think it means is the death of the knowledge worker and the birth of the intellectual capitalist mm -hmm. that's what i think is fundamentally going on here so our hero and mentor um, uh, Peter Drucker coined the term, created the category knowledge worker mm -hmm. as a way to distinguish people who worked with their brains versus their brawn. And if you go read his definition of knowledge worker, I'll paraphrase it, but it's it, roughly, he says, it's somebody who acquires uh, valuable knowledge and then gets paid to apply that knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's why your mom wanted you to be a lawyer or a doctor, or an accountant, or a nurse, or, you know, a highly valued in society, esteem-wise, person who worked very hard to acquire very valuable knowledge, and then gets paid handsomely to apply that knowledge to produce value slash results. And they were the most esteemed people in the world. Uh, well, we are very close to being able to say to chat GPT, um, I'm a, you know, you're a lawyer defending in a murder case and you want a summation written that's specific to that case. Chat GPT right now will give you a very decent first draft, mm -hmm. including um, other cases that, that were similar that went, the, the way of the defendant. Okay. Now with uh, Dolly 2, you can create art mm -hmm. by typing a sentence. And so what's really happening here is the value of existing knowledge is decreasing. That's what Google did. Mm -hmm. These new AI technologies are at a whole other level. They're just getting started. I, as a side note, <laughs> I asked a friend of mine said they had, oh no, this is what I heard. A gal uh, online said she had used chat GPT 
to uh, uh, kind of fix up her Bumble profile to meet men. And that it was really working that it, she sort of asked chat GPT to rewrite her Bumble profile and it did. And, and so she just uploaded it and, and it, she was getting more dates. So <laughs> this was funny. So I thought, all right, well, I'll ask chat GPT. You know, I'm a very, there's people who are married and then there's people who are very married. I'm very married. And uh, so I don't need to go on Bumble or Flumble or Dinder or Plinder. But um, so I said, okay, well, you know, I asked it to write my bio. And it started off, well, here's what it did. It wrote my obituary. <laughs> I said, write a bio. I said, write a bio for Christopher Lockhead like a Tom Waits song. That's what I wrote. <laughs> and it started off with Christopher Lockhead was. And then it said lots of wonderful things, which is nice. <laughs> but I, the this past tense of the post was not, I was like, what? Does ChatGPT know something <laughs> doesn't know it. Chris, I got to um, really want to come back to the intellectual capitalist thing, but um, the woman that asks uh, AI program to write a better version of herself or a more compelling version of herself, <clears throat> I keep thinking this. Woody Allen in his stand-up days, he did a routine where he said a uh, guy goes to a costume party and he's dressed as a moose and uh, it happens at this party. Maybe it's California and they didn't have screens and the doors and windows open. A moose comes into the cocktail party when they're having a good time. The guy and the moose are getting along just fine. But then when the who's got the best costume comes up, the guy wins uh, with the moose costume and the moose is really pissed because well, he's a moose who should get it. So <laughs> Things, you know, were ironic, funny, twisted, satire. <laughs> They're real. They are real. And uh, so, but this intellectual capitalist thing, is that a lockheadism? Um, it's it's something we've started writing about a few months back, maybe six months ago. And, and here's the aha. And here's why the term. Um. Given, and we knew this six or eight months ago, the chat GPT, Dolly 2 stuff just sort of is accelerating the speed with which all of this is going to happen. But we started writing about this months ago. Here's the, here's the breakthrough aha, which is in a world where knowledge is readily accessible and close to free, not all knowledge, of course, but uh, accessibility to knowledge has never been cheaper and, and broader than it is today. Um, the value of acquired knowledge decreases. So here's a simple example. When I was a kid, the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, no, excuse me, World Book, sales, and it was a man, salesman at the time, we're talking about the 70s, knocks on the door, and my mother, Jackie, opens the door, and he says, oh, hello, madam, do you have children? And she says, yes, and he says, oh, do you want them to grow up to be stupid fucks or would you like them to be really smart? And she says, oh, I'd like them to be very smart. He said, oh, well, I'd like to come in and show you these brochures and maybe you should think about buying the uh, the, the encyclopedia books. And my mother, because she was a good mother, forks over some giant amount of money at the time. And then there was, people forget this, the subscription model <clears throat> is nowhere near new because we subscribe to this thing every year. So you got whatever it was, 200 books or four, whatever. How many were in an encyclopedia? hundred 60, I don't know what it was, a ton of books on different yeah. topics and whatever. And then once a year, they sent you the upgrade, which was a new book on the spine. It had the date and it had the update to all the other books in that one book. Mm -hmm. And so when we were in school and, you know, your teacher says, you've got to do a geography report on Zimbabwe. Well, what do you do? You go to the encyclopedia and you read up on Zimbabwe and you write down what you learned and Bob's your uncle, right? Okay, so so that's where we were. We're in a very different place now. And so the cost and access to knowledge has decreased exponentially over the last 50 years and is going to continue to. And so what this means is jobs whose primary function is the application 
of existing knowledge will continue to decrease in value over time. Now, everybody can talk about why that's quote-unquote bad. If you go and look through the history, and we talked about this on a podcast about yeah. the hunter-gatherer, hunter dad and the, the the farmer daughter right that's how far back this goes in history the luddites are always wrong right oh what's this new invention jim i think i'm going to call it a wheelbarrow I, I i wanted to use the wheel to transport some shit and i thought how could i do that well, i cut a barrel in half and put these things on it these handles on it and ta-da now we can carry five times more than we could carry before yeah, but Bob, what about all the people who make their living carrying things? We're going to put them all out of business. Oh, well, that's what we're going to do. So, and But the net of it is, is humanity in a materially different place because of the wheelbarrow? Yes. Would we like to roll that back? No. That's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And the big aha is the highest value jobs today and going forward are no longer knowledge workers. They're intellectual capitalists. Okay, so what's an intellectual capitalist? A person who creates net new knowledge. And like everything, being an intellectual capitalist is a scale, is a spectrum. So go from one end to the other. So I have a wonderful niece who uh, works in account payable. She's an accounts payable manager for a tech company. And um, she got, there was several rounds of layoffs. She made it through all of them and then she got whacked. And uh, they said, hey, it's nothing personal, but you know, we love you and all this sort of stuff. And um, and the bottom line is they said, we're going to try and find somebody on Robert Half, you know, some, some kind of contract, part-time, cheaper person, maybe somebody in Kuala Lala, Ding Dong, whatever. They were going to replace her with a much cheaper thing enabled by technology. That was their strategy. So she's bummed out and da-da-da-da-da, but whatever happens, happens to millions of people. She starts looking for a new job. And um, uh, about a month into this, Bob, the company calls her up and invites her back. Mm-hmm. But they say we we we're not are on a hiring freeze, so we need to bring you back as a consultant. But we're going to pay you two x per hour because what we learned is we actually can't replace you. What you know about us is more than we do, and you seem to have figured some stuff out that we're not quite sure we understand. But when you're here, it's one way, and when you're not, it's another. And so we need you here. So. Why did they rehire Melissa? Melissa had something called leverage. Mm -hmm. And the leverage was she, while doing the job, went from application of knowledge around how to manage accounts payable in a team to creating net new knowledge that was a hybrid combination of her experience and knowledge that she already had and modern technologies and tools and the specifics of that company. And it turned out when they went to go replace that with highly technology enabled, uh, low cost people, they could not. And the reason they could not is while she was there, she had developed proprietary intellectual capital that she was using to perform at a very high level. They didn't realize how much she had done like that. And when she was gone, it hurt. So Melissa is an intellectual capitalist. So much so that she doubled her salary after getting fired. Mm -hmm. So that's on one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum would be Mr. Beast who is the most successful digital creator of all time. And what did Mr. Beast figure out? Mr. Beast figured out an entirely, and I'm going to use this word on purpose, different approach to creating digital entertainment. 
And he was recently, I listened to him recently on a Lex Friedman podcast. It's a great episode. I highly, highly recommend it. And uh, one of the interesting things he said, Bob, was as he was building out his company, because he's got a massive production company, right? I mean, they spend millions of dollars on one internet video, right? Nobody had ever thought to do that before. Nobody had ever thought to take, you know, a big time approach to YouTube videos. Well, as he grew his company, he needed to hire people. And, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but on the Lex Friedman podcast, he speaks about how he started to hire people from the legacy entertainment industry. Huh. And it was terrible. And he had to fire him. And he ended up hiring people who he thought were generically smart, who could learn, because why did he fire all the legacy people, Bob? They were working with the old stuff, Chris. Yes, they brought they had, nothing new. They had an old lens. And all of their training, all of their instincts didn't work. Why? Because they didn't understand we're in a native digital world now. And so uh, Mr. Beast is apparently raising money for his company, Mr. Beast Inc. or whatever the fuck it's called, <laughs> at a $1.5 billion valuation right now. Okay, so what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is knowledge workers are dead and intellectual capitalists are about to thrive. So we now all have to say, okay, if our value is application of existing knowledge, we are in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. What we at Category Pirates call obvious content. If you're in the obvious business, you're fucked. You know, uh, Inc. Magazine and Fast Company Magazine and all these hustle porn stars and all this sort of stuff finished. If you go, you go to Chat GPT, and I did this, and I said, "Write me a thousand word Inc. Magazine article on how to be a successful entrepreneur," and it writes the article. Now it's stupid shit, mm -hmm. right? It's basic, radically obvious. Like if you don't know this shit. You probably shouldn't even be thinking about it kind of a thing. I mean, it isn't 101. It's like minus a thousand <laughs> in terms of how radically obvious most of it is. Mm -hmm. However, as you well know, I mean, you were the chief ding dong of fucking content for one of the most important content media companies in the world back in the day. Um, those businesses are toast if they're not doing what you, Bob, are doing today, which is every episode Every post, every blog, every piece of thinking, however it gets executed, is net new mm -hmm. intellectual capital. So what there is for us to do, and I think we'll probably express this in some kind of a hierarchy or a pyramid or something like that, but knowledge worker used to be the top of the pyramid. And yes, there are intellectual capitalists who are entrepreneurs and created things for ever and ever and ever. However, the difference today is... The capital that it requires to be an intellectual capitalist, that is to say, to create net new knowledge, to wrap that or to to, to um, imbue that knowledge in some kind of a product or service or some kind of an offering, wrap that IC offering in a new category design and launch it digitally is unheard of, mm -hmm. right? And this is the unlock. And so, and I think it's incredibly exciting because once you realize that our job is to uh, acquire knowledge for sure, we all, every band starts by playing cover songs, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be a legendary doctor going forward, I think what you want to do is do everything that legendary doctors did historically and then ask yourself the question, what is the net new innovation? What is the net new intellectual capital that I want to create. And if you want to um, um, monetize it, how do I define it as a new category and monetize it as a digital asset? And that's the unlock. Mm -hmm. And so the knowledge worker of today is immediately transformed to a factory worker. And every knowledge worker today can decide they don't want to be a factory worker. And whether it's Mr. Beast on one end or my beloved extraordinary niece, Melissa, on the other end, we all have an opportunity in our job to create net new thinking, to create new frameworks, to create new processes, to create new pro. If you've ever created anything new of value for yourself and or your company in your work, 
whether you realize it or not, you're an intellectual capitalist. Mm -hmm. And the big aha now is to take that from the back of your mind to the front of your mind and ask yourself, what I see have I created already? Melissa didn't know that. How am I being super thoughtful about leveraging my IC to make a difference, to create value for others and for myself? And then can I wrap that IC? And of course, that's what software is. So this is not a new idea. A software engineer is an intellectual capitalist. <clears throat> What's different is our ability to create at scale in the digital world. And the minute we understand that, whether you're building a software product, piece of content, media, or a framework, or a business process, or a set of uh, guiding principles around how to do a certain thing, whatever the fuck the, the, however you take the thinking, the net new learning and package it, you're an intellectual capitalist. And because of the native digital world, we all have ability to create, share, and if we want, monetize intellectual capital at scale, which means we can be a solopreneur like you started off and now you've partnered up with John and all that stuff. You guys are, you know, acceleration economy is an IC business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the truth is every career that's going to be successful going forward is because the person understands that they are an, intellect an intellectual capitalist, not a knowledge worker. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris, it's fascinating. You uh, you talked about that request you made at ChatGP, you know, uh, write my bio in a Tom Waits style, and it sort of came back with an obituary, uh, obituary-like. Uh, it said was, so <laughs> it didn't <laughs> yeah. give dates. So I was like, oh, does it have That's an end good. date here I should know That's about? <laughs> no dates. No, I just think you've offered an elegant obituary for the knowledge worker, right? It, it was, they're, they're not bad people. It's not, it's just the world changes constantly. Chris, if I could ask, um, again, this has been fantastic. Uh, I just want to go back a half century. Uh, something that happened to me, a very visceral uh, thing. It, it's simple, fun, sort of straightforward, quick thing. But I think about this all the time. So I don't know, it's maybe 12 and uh, me and a few of my buddies, the circus was coming to town. So up at this the high school football stadium, you know, 8,000 seats for high school football. That's where the circus was. And we went up and uh, our intention was to have some fun at the circus, but to make some money. <clears throat> so we went and found some of the guys off the side who were setting stuff up. We helped them set some things up, very menial jobs. And then at the end, they said, oh, yeah, come back, you know, Sunday morning. We got some real work for you there. Well, one of the jobs was uh, – with the elephants. Well, the elephants had been there for a few days. The elephants left quite a mess. The mess had to be uh, put into a garbage truck. And that's part of what we did. But I was talking to a couple of the guys and I saw the elephants over, you know, a few yards away from us. And I said, why do those big giant bull elephants still sit there with that little piece of rope tied to a little peg in the ground? And he laughed, said, they don't know that they can pull it out and throw that thing three miles because since they were little, they were tethered to that thing that they couldn't pull out when they were little. So they accept the imposition of these rules and norms and realities and boundaries and limitations and so forth like that. And Chris, that's why I think that the thing I mentioned a little while ago, these self-imposed limitations, because every dang thing you said is beautifully stated. It's perfect. It's optimistic and uh, growth oriented and fun. But if we choose as people to carry forward these old norms, old, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. I can't. That's the deadly thing. So banging people on the head with these ideas is fantastic because I think it is you are describing the edge of, a, of an extraordinary and uplifting and enriching uh, wave of human potential, of optimism, of creation yes. of stuff. That's going to be good for all the people who get to see what other people are doing. But for those individuals, it's it's remarkable. But the, if we still think that we can't pull that peg out of the ground and throw it three miles, we're never going to get started. Amen. Hallelujah, brother. And if you think about, you know, we have this term we use all the time in our world called the tech stack. Right. And 
marketing tech stack and the cloud tech stack and the, this tech stack and the da da da. So the way uh, we think about what's going on here is um, the value stack just changed. Yes. So it got a new upper layer, and the layer underneath that just went down. Mm-hmm. That is, and, and by value, what is it that human beings do that produces the most value for society? for their employer, for themselves, for the world, et cetera. So the value stack just got redone. That's what happened. And so, you know, talking to my producer, uh, podcast producer, Jason DeFilippo, the legendary, he's the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. And he's like, there are all these new tools that are coming out in his world. Adobe's got a new, they call it AI, but it's ML, um, uh, you know, voice editor optimizer. I forget what the software is called for podcasts. I think the pro- I think it might just be called Adobe Podcast. Anyway, he was uh he was uh actually I was listening to him on his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, go fucking greatest grumpy fucking tech podcast ever. <laughs> but um, he was he was sharing on a recent episode of Grumpy Old Geeks how he's using this new Adobe software and it's like, holy shit, this thing does like a meaningful amount of what I have spent the last plus or minus decade becoming a master. I mean, he was Tim Ferriss's producer and Jordan Harbour, like all these guys. Right. And, you know, I pay him a bunch because I care about audio quality. Right. And he's like, holy shit, this is crazy what this can do. And he's talking about how they're literally things that would take him several hours mm-hmm. that the new Adobe podcast ML super editing, optimizing, ding-dong technology can get you, I forget what number he said, but it might have been 90% of the way there. Like, it gets you very close. And he's like, I think I'm out of a job forever. Um, And ha, ha, ha. But the interesting thing is then it leads to a discussion with him about, okay, so let's think about what you do as a podcast producer and draw your own value stack. What is it that you do that's the most valuable? And what is it that you do that's least valuable? Well, sitting there grinding, looking at the blurby, wobbly lines, trying to figure out, you know, where I said um too much so he can clean up my nastiness is not, this is a highly intelligent guy, a highly creative guy, right? There's in terms of producing legendary podcasts, looking at the, the, the bouncy line, that's not where his value really lies. So, so the, I, I guess my point is the minute we can understand, okay, is this threatening? Yes, it is. Will people lose jobs? Fuck yeah, they will. I have an entrepreneur friend of mine who went to chat GPT and said, and he, he said what, what category of software he was in, which is very, very niche by the way. And he said, write me a year in review about X category you know, a thousand words or whatever it was. Chat GPT writes it. He makes a few minor edits and literally in less than 10 minutes, he's got a blog post. <laughs> so if you are a marketing content creator and you're in the, let's just call it obvious business, uh, you're obviously, ha ha, in a lot of fucking trouble. My dear friend and and and, and uh, writing partner, Nicholas Cole spent roughly 10 years as a ghostwriter for executives and VCs and entrepreneurs. And what he said to me is the most interesting thing about being a ghostwriter is it's got very little to do with writing and it's got everything to do with thinking. He said, the truth is I'm a ghost thinker, Mm -hmm. right? An entrepreneur, VC founder has an interesting idea. Can't really, you know, people aren't necessarily great at writing or even communicating. Ask most entrepreneurs, what do you do? Fuck get a beer, right? Um, it's hard for them. And so, and so he said, what I really do is, is, uh, I rent my brain. Right. Yeah. And so that's the value stack. That's him not being a ghostwriter. That's him being an intellectual capitalist. He's actually co-creating IC with the client. He's no longer in that business, but that's, that's what he was doing. And once yeah. he realized he was actually helping them think that was the higher value bit. Uh, as opposed to going to chat GDP and just saying, you know, I, I did one. It said, um, r- write me um, a thousand word article on the, the five most important tech trends for 2023. Mm-hmm. It did an incredible job. By the way, of course, it starts off with AI. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, promotion. I, right. I think the net of all of this is, look, will there be displacement? 
yes, there when when we invented the uh, wheelbarrow, the people who carried pails with water didn't we didn't need as many of them. That's going to happen here, and there's going to be dislocation about that. There just is. However, if we were smart and we were us, and we're definitely us, we would flip this thing, and we'd say, "What's possible now?" Yeah. And here's my biggest upset, and I'm flaming mad about it, particularly as somebody with four or five uh, learning differences, including um, uh, ADHD, dyscalculia, and dyslexia. If I had had chat GPT as a child, my entire education would be different. Mm -hmm. So here's what's going on. New York, Los Angeles, Seattle, Chicago, and other major school districts recently, quote, banned chat GPT. So let's just think about this for a second. Mm -hmm. Native digitals are a new category of human. They're the biggest change in the definition of what a human being is, probably since the shift from hunter-gatherer to farmer, certainly since the Industrial Revolution. That is to say, they live primarily in the digital world. And I always love this. When native digitals argue with me, they're like, oh, no, that's not true. I like to get together with my friends and have a beer or a coffee or go play soccer or whatever. And, uh, and I really, you know, we really value you in person. They're like trying to argue me out of this. Aha. And I said, okay, great. If I invite you over to my house and you show up at my front door, how do you let me know you're here? And they said, oh, I'll text you here. I said, arrest my case. Because you and I knock on the door, ring the doorbell, right? Their, their default position is digital first. And then if they have to, analog. So what do we have going on in our education system right now? Let's just, one of the things in category design is listen to the words. Educators. Educators. What is an educator? A person who teaches educators are saying to our kids who are native digital the most exciting new consumer breakthrough in ai just happened microsoft has invested a baz do you know what the number is well three years ago they put a billion into open ai and now i think it's uh you know multiple billions I think it might be, hold on, let me see if I can find out. Um, anyway, the point being, uh, it's a giant number and everybody's coming. Um, oh, yeah. Everybody's coming. You think Google's not working on this stuff? Of course they are. I think Facebook's not working, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let me just see if I can find the investment in chat. Oh, open AI. $10 billion. So they just announced 10 billion. So there are very few projects in the history of humankind that were financed to the level of $10 billion, just e even on a um, adjusted basis. So here we have educators. Now, what's the job of an educator of children? To prepare children to be successful in the world. That's their job. Happy, successful, thriving, contributing, growing people who can stand on their own two feet and make a difference be part of our world that's we're trying to build successful people with education so now we have the biggest native digital breakthrough and it's not particularly chat gpt as a specific it's 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 emblematic of what's coming right and our educators whose job it is to prepare our children for the future our native digital children just said, oh, AI, we're not doing any of that. As opposed to doing what they should be doing, which is immediately unleashing the, this innovation. Educators today should start a creative writing contest for who can do the most legendary creative writing with ChatGPT should do an art contest for who can do the most legendary art using Dolly 2, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they decided not to do that. They decided to cut our children off 
from the future. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Seattle, and others. Well, a little while ago, you said the Luddites always lose. And uh, it's going to take a while because those are some deeply rooted Luddites. But uh, because it's terrible, 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 terrible. Um, and maybe that's going to be, maybe that decision is going to be one of the things that really, alt, you know, I hope not too far in the future leads to more and more people saying, hey, you know, we can't put up with this anymore. Government schools, government uh, ideas, and the Luddites here stifling children. Yeah, terror. Well, you know, so so it's interesting. I've, well, been it's posting, I've been posting and blogging about this a lot. And Native analogs want to argue with me about this. They think I'm an idiot. Oh, it's just going to create all this plagiarism. Okay, it probably is going to create a lot of plagiarism. No, no one's going to argue that. But there's none going on now. Correct. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's just think about, so we want to ban technology because it creates plagiarism. And this is a guy said this to me on LinkedIn. This is not a hard skill, like a core skill. I said, what if it is a core skill? And then I said the following. This is the comeback to all of them. You ready? All right. So great. I'm with you. No, no chat GPT, no AI in school. Perfect. Um, what about Google? Okay. Well then by your logic, no Google smartphones. Absolutely not. And of course, when smartphones came out, lots of schools tried to ban them. No smart schools. Uh, this train of thinking, of course, no computers. What we're going to do is we're going to do reading, writing, and arithmetic. And we're going to have blackboards. And that's what we're going to do. Now, I'm not saying that children should not be taught to write by themselves or do math by themselves. But um, listen, when they remember when this, I forget what it was called, the super ding dong HP calculator came out. Yeah. Yeah, everybody had to get it. And if you had, if you were walking around with that calculator, you were a smart kid and you weren't like me. Uh, I, I didn't know how to turn that thing on. But anyway, um, you know, everybody said, oh, this is going to ruin calculus. This is going to ruin math because now everybody has this super ding dong HP thing and they're not going to learn the hard skills, Bob, the fundamentals. When rap music came along, hip hop, that's not singing. It's talking. That's not music. Oh, I don't know. Last time I checked, poetry was talking. Rap music is poetry with music. That's not real music. That's loud garbage. Blah, blah, blah. Those aren't musicians. Oh, really? I don't know. Last time I looked, Jay-Z was on fire. <laughs> and on and on and on and on. And so it is angering and disheartening that supposedly learned educators are purposely cutting off children from this future as opposed to encouraging experimentation, as opposed to encouraging conversation. What's appropriate? What's not appropriate? If we're going to use this technology, how do we make sure we cite source so we're not plagiarizing? You, how do we not write an entire plagiarized thing, but maybe use it as an inspiration? Listen, I don't know all the answers. I don't know all the fucking questions. But what I do know is whether you're a CEO or a department head, or a leader of any kind, and fucking A, if you're an educator, the answer is, let's play. A new hammer just got invented. Let's see what we can build. Well, here's a little plagiarism on my part. Amen, hallelujah, brother. That <laughs> is it. That is it. Chris, I'm with you. This, is, this has been great. Um, the and I, I hope that, uh, you know, anybody who hasn't seen some of your stuff about that, you know, what is the intellectual capitalist and what are the different levels in that? And how do you do it? Where do you go? Chris, this is some of the best work you've ever done. And you've done some pretty good work over time. This Thank is uh, because, right, right, we all have the choice, right? Oh, my God, the sky's falling. Chat GPT is going to wipe out, you know, millions of jobs. Or... It's uh, it's going to open up, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of opportunities. And I think that's, you know, what you said there. What is going to be different? What are people going to want? What do you want to do? And then what do we are, what do we ourselves want to do? What are we willing to do? And are we willing to shake off the preconceptions and limitations and boundaries and fences and uh, 
stay, stop stifling ourselves. Yes. The, the educators thing, very powerful. Uh, Christopher, I love this. This has been, I think, of all the fantastic episodes I've had a chance to sit in on with you before, I think this is the best. Unbelievable. Very, Thank you, very, Bob. Very powerful. Thank you. And our mission is we just want to share this thinking because there will be a lot of people in our country and around the world who view this as negative. There will be a lot of people who will be displaced in their jobs. Um, and as somebody who grew up with very little, I have very much empathy for financial uh, insecurity in your life. It's the environment that I grew up in. Um, and if we can shake that and say, what does this make possible? If we can think creatively, if we can think innovatively, if we can think about our own personal value stack. And, and, and the reason we're doing this writing, Bob, is we think most people who are um, knowledge workers don't really think about that they're knowledge workers. And they don't, they live in a paradigm called, I go to school, I acquire the most expensive knowledge I can so that I can create the most value and earn the most applying that knowledge. That is such an embedded axiom in our path. Ask any mother of any child and they want them to grow up to be doctors and lawyers. Why? That's why, because they are the highest paid, most esteemed knowledge workers. That's what they are. And so this is deeply, deeply ingrained in us. It's been that way for, you know, more than 50 years, a hundred years. Um, and so we think there's a massive unlock for people here if they could see it. Yeah. You know, when, when the internet was coming about, Bob, we talked about how this was going to be the great leveler the, for small businesses. Well, the truth is that's exactly what happened. Whether it's basic internet technology like smartphones and uh, computers and the like, or, or 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 you know, think about what you could do in in QuickBooks today that you couldn't do even 15 years ago if you're a small business. Uh, think about you know my friends at NetSuite, and you have lots of friends at Oracle, given your past as well. Um, that's an incredible technology that wasn't available not that long ago for growing companies. Um, so there's those basic building block technologies, and then there's AWS and on and on and on and on and on. You can start a solopreneur business or a small business with a free freemium tools, with low cost technologies, and you can, you can scale your costs as your revenue grows, buy more space on AWS, set up a new instant, whatever it is, right? And so the point being that today our ability to start small with a relatively small amount of money and create and add new value as an intellectual capitalist who's focused on a specific category or niche has never been greater. That's what you do. That's what I do. And so what our hope with this work, Bob, is that it's an unlock for people yeah. who are trapped in declining value knowledge worker jobs or even worse declining value laborer jobs of which i have had many by the way right we all want to start moving up that value stack and the barriers to entry whether it was cost of education or your background or or pick your favorite ism baldism against me um, etc that stuff matters almost it's almost completely gone in the digital world, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is the unlock for people. And even if you're not going to set out and try to be a Mr. Beast, if you go back to Melissa for a second, just inventory. What's the intellectual capital that you've created in the last two years? Just yeah. think about things that you created or co-created that you use and or do today that you didn't use and or do today that you had a meaningful part in designing, figuring out, innovating, dreaming up, whatever you want to call it. Well, every time you do that, you're an intellectual capitalist. Yeah. And the truth is every good knowledge worker is an intellectual capitalist. Virtually all of us are. And so we just want to surface this and show people that this is the new game. Beautifully said, my friend. Beautifully said, Chris. And it's an unlock. We're going to keep pushing on that. Um, 
Chris, thanks so much. This has been a, a fantastic adventure today. Uh, world class. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Love you. Look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, brother. Love you too. Uh, thanks for the hummingbird story as well. <laughs> Folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. He's Christopher Lockhead, Category Pirates, uh, world-class stuff. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time.